Welcome to 20th Century Geek. Motherfuckers, and welcome to 20th Century Geek. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and I'm joined by my, well, my die-hard pal, Mike. Ah, That's it. Like, yeah, yeah. I like, I like the like your introduction. There it was completely sort of like non-family friendly. It was. I was starting to set the tone from the outset, really. Yeah, I, um, I would have said yippee <clears throat> flippers, mother flipper. It'd been at the TV edit. Yippee mother flippers. Yeah. Well, you'll, um. Yeah, you've what seen the flip ed- you're looking at. <laughs> have you? I'll TV, flip you up. TV edits will come into this to stop it today because have you yeah. seen the TV edits of Die Hard? I uh, do you know I haven't. If you're not, no. they're perfect. Yippee ki Mr. Falcon is uh, one of them. Uh, Yippee ki Mr. Falcon. Mr. Falcon. Who's Mr. Falcon? Uh, it, it's irrelevant. It's just that was a TV edit. Wow. And we'll go into that. But yeah, so you may have guessed mm. we're talking Die Hard. And not yeah. just the first one, but it's been 30 years. 30 years this year. That film is 30 years old. That's crazy. Um, but we're going to talk the whole Die Hard series. All five of them. 30 years old? It is 30 years Jeez. old. I can't believe um, I was that young when it was... Yeah, when you was were so what, three? Was, yeah, <laughs> like that. But no, I was... I mean, I was... God, was I 13 when it came out then? Something yeah. Like that. Was, it, was it... The first film, was it in your... Like, the zeitgeist? Was, it, was it, you aware of it when it yeah. came out? Well, I saw it round... Uh, some uh, uh, my, my uncle Peter's house. I saw it round because we used to have pie, beans, and chips, and a film. And um, that was the first time I was experienced to Die Hard. So it was a memorable time. Mm. You know, part so of on VHS. Thing. On VHS cassette. Yeah, I never saw it in the big screen. Unfortunately, no. but, I've not seen even retrospectively. I'd love to see it. I've never seen Die Hard on the. On the I've on saw the big screen. saw the second and the third one on the big screen. Mm, I saw the third one on the big screen. I think I saw fourth one on the big screen as well. Actually, I think I did as well. But I didn't see Nobody that. saw the fifth one. No, 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 no. <laughs> no one really bothered. Um, but yeah, no, because it's a staple, isn't it? I mean, you know, it's mm. a staple action film. It is possibly like one of the top action films of all time. Yeah, it's a good series of action films. It I mean, is. It's, it's, a, it's a solid franchise. It's not. See, you, you can compare this franchise to something like Fast and Furious, for instance. You could. I, in fact, my in my head, part of that, that came up when I was thinking about this. Mm. Like, what other action franchises could you compare this to? Is it, you know, is it Fast and Furious? Is it Mission Impossible? Is it are we gonna head, we're going to head ourselves now, aren't we? We are, because right, we should okay. really talk about mm. the first film. Because I've learned a lot. Hans Gruber. Hans Gruber, the great, the late, great Alan Rickman. What time does he do? Yeah. <laughs> Well, we get the Ouija board out. We yeah, could have a chat. We could have a chat. Yeah. The other people always say I sound a little bit like Alan Rickman for some reason. Whenever I do shows, they always say you sound exactly like the guy at because I used to have my hair long as well. Mm. It was Mad Mike days. And people used to say, "Oh, you Snape." What they meant was, "Are you the seedy one out of Harry Potter?" Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, you are. Um, I did. Yeah. Lot, I did some voiceover work for Harry Potter World. Did you? Yeah, yeah, and I think one of the characters I did was Snape. No. Ah, probably because I was cheaper than Alan Rickman. I was going to say, yeah, that's always the way. I'm, isn't I'm it? dearer than he is now, so you know. <laughs> yeah, guest appearance by you is yeah. much more than it is by. So him. if you go to Harry Potter world, it's, it's strange because I've never seen the Harry Potter films. Have you not? No, never seen. Wow, them. I thought you. No, no, not my, not my bag, baby, oh. not my bag. 
No, there's not enough not enough sex going on. I think you know there would have been a, bit, a better school. Yes, really. <laughs> it's a boarding school yeah. and no one's fucking anybody. Hogwarts. That's not very accurate. No, it's not really. Hogwarts, Those... Hogwarts, where they take all the children away from their parents yeah. and you do nothing with them. There's Honestly, a... what kind of fucking school are you? There's a, there's an unusual you know thing where the the females uh, the girls ones are slightly thicker than the boys ones. It's never explained in the no, films as to why not, that is. Not really, is no. it? It's mm. just sort of like you know suggested. Yeah, it is. I mean, Dumbledore does look like a paedophile, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's typical. If you put, if you imagine in your mind what a paedophile actually looks like, you just told me you Dumbledore. haven't seen the films. You're now but saying no. that basically Richard Harris and uh, oh, Richard, you, come on, a wizard. A wizard looks like a paedophile. You said Merlin was a paedophile. Yeah, damn straight he was. Of course yeah. he was. He wanted to hang Professor, around. Professor Dumbledore. Young Arthur. Come on, young, young Arthur. Arthur. You know what I mean? It's like come, come grab, my, come grab my sword. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he was definitely a paedophile. Uh, what other wizards has it been? Well, okay, Merlin and Dumbledore, both of them. There we are. I think wow. I think they're the same person. <laughs> That's what I think. Wow, I'm going to get letters now. Oh, yeah. I'm going to say this, these are not my opinions. I'm a big fan of the Harry Potter series. I, I, and, I'm, uh, not, I'm not saying not dissing the Harry Potter series. You know, <sighs> it's just a school run by a paedophile. Okay. That's all I'm saying. Wow. It won't be the only school run by a paedophile in Britain. So. <laughs> well, exactly. So let's make it accurate yeah. to you know. You know, okay. all you have to do is have Hogwarts visited occasionally by Jimmy Savile. <laughs> that would have been perfect, wouldn't it? Well, it could be one of the now ghosts. Now then, Harry, what's going each on here? Each of the houses, then? each of the houses have a house ghost. So Jimmy becomes one of the house ghosts. But do you know what? They're, what Just peeking in the boy showers. Oh my God, why are we even talking about this? <laughs> so this is a, this is turned into so a... Let's, let's pull back. Right? This was okay. a tangent. I may pull, have to pull edit. Back. Let's pull, pull back. Yeah, I'm pulling out. Yeah. And I'm going to spray all over her back. No, look, no. I'm going to... Pull... Yeah. I'm gonna let's get back on topic. So, okay. Die Hard, 1988. Yes, oh yes, that's the one. Um, the interesting thing about Die Hard, you're not gonna edit any of that shit out, are you? Because I mean, that's no, just, I'm too lazy. That's yeah, all staying that's, in. That's great. And you know, I'll probably get some some uh, abusive tweets or emails from it, but we'll Sweet. be fine. Um, yeah. So, really, uh, 1988, you had um, mm. up until this point, it had been sort of like the one man army. The 80s, you had Arnie and uh, Stallone had really been like those muscle bound. Jean-Claude Van Jean-Claude had, had, had sort of dabbled early Jean-Claude with his martial arts films but um, really it was all the oversized muscle men like your commando was yeah. really was you know was your first like, one man so, so guys, Rambo guys with my physique yeah exactly yeah yeah mm. yeah I mean you are a mo- you are mock model in fact I hear that you're going to be the body double for Arnie in the latest Terminator series yeah the way he looks now the way he looks now <laughs> yeah um so for yeah, so for Bruce Willis, who's a regular sort of looking guy, you know, moonlighting. Not, he came from moonlighting, exactly. Mm. He came from TV. We don't mean we don't mean sort of like that's his profession outside no, of no. working. Moonlighting, the great, great civil the series. I really enjoyed that. Series. Lovely series. Really yeah. good fun that series. Oh, it was grand. He dabbled in, but he'd been he did a comedy of Blind Date uh, with Kim Bassinger. Yes, he did. Yeah, and yeah. a couple of others. Like, that was a great film. Yeah, but really he, great film. He wasn't known as obviously as an action star. No. So this is almost like. For, you know, when I read up about some of this stuff, it, I mean, it wasn't the level of Michael Keaton being cast as Batman. The, you know, the, there wasn't that kind of like what. This was still there were still people who were saying like yeah, he's an he's an unknown commodity. What are you talking about? Why is Bruce Willis doing this? Mm. Doing this film? Um, but there they had faith in it. They put a lot, quite a bit of money into it, and um, it seems to have paid off. This has and been a this was his career maker. I mean, you yeah. take about you know he had a nice career with Moonlight, and everyone knew him. But that transition from television show. Mm-hmm. To, you know, movie star, not just action star, but movie star is huge. Did he do Striking Distance before this or after? No, after. Oh, so that's a nineties. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a nineties one. Hudson Hawk Hudson and all Hawk. those came later. 
Um, and they're all variances, really, on the John McClane character. He's, n- he's not exactly a wide-ranging actor, let's be fair. No, he's not. No, no, no. He but, hasn't got much depth to him. No, really. but he's good at what he does. Mm. Uh, or he was. Um, and I say, yeah, this, you're right. This made him a movie star mm. pretty much overnight. You know, he went from, I say, a known actor to becoming a movie star. We got um, the gig for Fifth Element out of this, didn't he, from Die Hard? Well, yeah, well, yeah, because they, they use some sort of. It's always the joke, and that was nineteen ninety six, ninety seven, something mm. like that. So they, we done a couple of diehards by that point, but um, it, it's clearly a rip on that because he obviously wears the orange vesty kind of thing in yeah, that. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, that's another great film. I, I think you know that's probably one of Luc Besson's best films. Oh, great! Yeah, it's a great film. Um, but there's some things I, I'm going to run this past you because it's Bruce Willis wasn't their first choice. Interesting, didn't know that. Mm. So, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's for most films, it's the case, isn't it? Yeah. Can you take a couple of guesses? Who do you think was the first choice for this? Is an action film in 1988. Yeah. Right? So, who do you think was the, was the first choice? Who's the person they went to first? I know. Gone. Was it was it a man by the name of David Bowie? <laughs> no. Hello. Do you know what? You be guy, hey motherfucker. <laughs> You're not far off. Really? Yeah. It was Frank Sinatra. Wow. Now, do you know why they went to Frank Sinatra? Of course you don't, because you didn't know it was actually Frank. So, Die Hard is based on a novel by a guy called Roderick Thorpe. And the novel's called Nothing Lasts Forever. Yes. Now, Nothing Lasts Forever is a sequel to a book called The Detective, which was written in 1966. Humphrey Bogart was in... Frank Sinatra was was in in The Detective. Detective. So, and the book Nothing Lasts Forever was originally released in 1979. Yeah. And so... They thought, actually, there's a decent enough time period between the books, 66 to 79, um, and the same between the films. So actually, Frank could come back as this ageing private eye and, and actually play it out. And uh, Frank, quite rightly, was like, I'm too old for this shit. He went all a bit Danny Glover about it and was mm. like, no, no, no. He, don't t- he so. went black. Yes, yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm too old for this shit, man. Oh, Jesus Christ. No, no. that's not what Frank Sinatra that's, sounded like. No, it's not what Danny Glover sounds like either. But uh, most of all, I did it my way. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Um, that's Frank Sinatra, man. Okay. I'll, I'll, make, I'll, I'll check, make a living. I'll, I'll, check, I'll, I'll make a living. It's a Frank Sinatra impersonator. Yeah. I black up. <laughs> wow. And I become Frank Sinatra. The I wear a string vest now. Yeah. Because you know? it could have been. Because it could have been. You could have been John McClane. Um, was John McClane in the, the the character from the book? No, no. So he's not called McClane. He's called something else. But he's uh, called John. Uh, it's called John something. Yeah, I can't remember what it is now. But I've read the book. John uh, Thomas. Yeah, John Thomas. Let's just call him that. But I've read the book. I've read the detective, and that's a quite. It's a standard sort of like fifties, sixties detective noir book. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. pretty good actually. It's not bad. I read that a while ago, and I read Nothing Lasts Forever um, earlier this year. Mm. It's crap. Oh, okay. It's got probably 80% of the set pieces that appear in the film okay so the thing jumping off the the um, Nocturne Plaza Nocturne Plaza with the uh, the hose in the book the helicopter getting expl- exploding as it comes in to try and shoot them on the uh, the roof in the book um, all that stuff Lo- um, Argyle the uh, driver mm. from the beginning all that in the book alright but somehow and it's not a long book it's less than it's just over 200 pages alright about 220 mm. pages but somehow Roderick Thorpe makes it dull, mm. like really dull. Um, it was a slog. It's a really. It was. A, I found it a real slog to get through. It's not a fast-paced book. Um, the action in the book also it happens over just over just under three days. 
It's not a one-night job. It's over three days. Okay. It wasn't until uh, John McTiernan, the director, got hold of it, and the original script was a, a much closer representation of the book, and he was like, no, 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 no. Let's make this a lot tighter. And it, it came down to just being one night. Mm. And that's when they sort of said, well, you know, if Frank's not going to do it, we want someone who can be an everyday kind of person. We want someone who's going to be a bit more of a regular Joe. And so they chose Bruce. Wow. So it's, it's, it's yeah. So but it's, was he the only choice then? I don't think Frank? he was the only. I think they did turn to a couple of others. Um, again, like they, 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 I couldn't tell you a list. I know that. Was one of them, was one of them Tom Hardy? A very young Tom Hardy, who would have probably been about eight at the time. Do you do any other impressions? And when I say impressions, I mean, do you do any good impressions of anybody? I do Frank Spencer. <laughs> yeah, you're Frank Spencer. He's basically Victor, a higher pitch. Victor Meldrew. You're, you're Frank Spencer's a higher pitch version of yep. Tom Hardy. You <laughs> PKA, motherfucker. Honestly, what's going on there? <laughs> Well, you're going to go on this building and I'm going to jump off the building. No, I don't think so. Wow. All right. Well, we'll, we'll move on from that. I do um, uh, I do Tom Jones's dad. I do Tom Jones's dad. <laughs> Listeners, you may have just noticed, I'm not going to edit, there was a long silence there where I literally just looked at Mike well, in the face. Wake up with an edit point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's an edit point where I can just go, no, I'm not having that. You're Tom Jones's dad. Do me Tom Jones's dad then. Go on. All right, Tom, coming in now for your supper, isn't it? So you can do a Welsh accent. No, that's Tom Jones's dad. Do you know, have you ever met Tom Jones's dad? Have you? Yeah, <laughs> once, and that's exactly what he sounds like. You bastard. He sounds a bit like you do when you're being Welsh. Possibly. Okay. Right. So before we get <laughs> before we get into this, one of the facts which I found absolutely fascinating about this, right? Was Tom Jones's dad was turned down for it? He was. He was. Tom Jones had no chance of getting this. We're gonna. You big guy, a motherfucker, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> It's not, it hasn't got the points. No, I've got a sort of thing now. Um, Nakatomi Plaza in the building was actually 20th Century Fox's um, head office. So this, this, their lot, it still is their Los Angeles head office. Oh, so it was legitimately their building. Yeah, it's their building. Wow. Right? So they blew up their own building. They blew up part of their own building. Right. Well, yeah. So get this as well. They charged the production uh, of the building. Well, they were they were producing this film. Yeah. Yet they charged the production rent. To make the film. So, not only did they make money off the profits of the film, they actually made, the company itself made money off the investment on the production of the film. That's pretty smart when you think about it. Well, it's like it's like Merlin Entertainments, though. You think about Merlin, right? Mm. Merlin Entertainments run countless, uh, you know, theme parks. Yeah. But then they had, they got Merlin's, Merlin's, Merlin's Magic Wand, which is their charity. Yeah. And they take donations and then they send underprivileged children and to, also their... to their own attractions <laughs> and they're a wow. charity and in actual fact and this is not a joke this is genuine when they opened up Merlin's Magic Wand do you know what their slogan Can was? I say, yeah 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 it was touching kids touching kids That's exactly with Merlin's Magic Wand yeah. going back to the paedophilia again really. it's, it's crazy though right the, the evidence is but there but it's not the first time that's happened it happens a lot no. in the industry the entertainment industry is, is very much how can we make money out of ourselves oh, without yeah, someone yeah. using ourselves? You know. Oh, and, this didn't uh, shock me. Like, no, no. Hearing it's, it's, this didn't shock me. I was a bit surprised they got away with it. There must be some tax implication there, but I'm sure that they were able to get away with it. Well, yeah, I'm sure they can. They can maximise well, they, because it becomes an expense and also a profit. So then mm. one limits out the other. So they know exactly why they do it. They do a lot in Pinewood as well. Pinewood studios do a lot when they used to do Pinewood films. Yeah. 
um, uh, sorry, Elstree, Elstree Films. When Elstree Films used to do Elstree Films, they used to produce the Elstree Films themselves. Mm. Then they used to rent out the Elstree Film space to the production company. So they used to get the rent on the film that they were actually making. Yeah. So yeah. like Lavender Hill Mob and things like that. They made so they make, they make, make them in house, but they rent out the space to themselves. Fair play, and that, I suppose that's, it makes sense really when you think about it. You've got the space. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so yeah, so that's, it's fascinating to know that that's the industry. But let's talk about so spo- spoilers from this point on. There are going to be spoilers for all of these films. Yeah. But what are your thoughts on Die Hard then? Amazing from a from a creative perspective, mm. a film to be uh, a film to be made in one <clears> location, <throat> it's um, and to keep your attention for ninety minutes. It's one of the it, tightest it, films. Isn't it? It's so tight. And it, oh, yeah. it's, it's so well, well done. You, you think about it. There's you know what, 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 how many films can you think of off the top of your head that uses one location for the entire film. I mean, it doesn't oh, go anywhere else. No, it's all in that building. I mean, it's even even when you say that, it's like there's only like four or five floors that they actually film things on. Like you know, it, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, base, it's a very well, tight. Base, the, the, the ground ground floor and the, and the ones up the top. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but but it keeps you interested. Oh yeah, yeah. So the pace creatively, of it is incredible. It's just amazing. And that's what I'm always impressed by this film is, like I say, the creatively and the pace of it. It just once it starts, like it goes like. <clears throat> it introduces the characters, it introduces the scenario and the, the family dynamic and the family setup and all those sorts of bits and pieces mm. so quickly in that first like fifteen minutes, and that, that includes like the baddies as well, like Hans Gruber and uh, what they're you know what they, you think they're there for and that sort of thing, and then it just goes to the races. Then you're just off, and it's it's like all right, well that's it now. But it's also as well as the it's, it's very much mm. underplayed by by um, uh, uh, Bruce Willis because mm. he is not your average hero and also as well he, he's not like ex-army he's not this he's not that mm. he's kind of like you know he's not got a huge backstory he's just a cop That's yeah, what yeah. He is. he's just a cop he's not like this military trained martial arts specialist you know like like commando like schwarzenegger in commando you know or all it's, of them yeah and that's, the thing. Rambo that's, right. and that's why in, i think know. he was such a that's why i think this is so successful and so uh, uh, you know it's so loved by people is because he's not like oh he just happens to be ex secret service or he's ex military like you know he's not he's not like a delta force or anything like that he is he's just a new york cop yeah he's got no special skills other no. than you know he's he's but he, and he's he's the wrong person in the wrong place at the wrong time mm. um, and, wasn't but, that one of the slogans for one of the posters yeah wrong that person, is wrong place wrong time that's sort of in the the second one actually um you know it's it, and it, it, it is that like, how can the same shit same person wrong place wrong time yeah something like that isn't it? um and that's why I think so because he's relatable. He's just an average Joe. And the other thing, saying that though, like you say, if this was if this was Stallone or if this was Schwarzenegger or even Van Damme, right? At the end of the film, he'd have a couple of scratches. He'd come out shirtless for a start, like you yeah, know, yeah. Without, without a doubt, as he does anyway. But he'd come out shirtless and he'd have a couple of scratches, probably a bit of a nosebleed. But he would, you know, he'd have been shot to fuck. But he'd come still out looking mm. ripped as anything, right? Bruce comes out of this like he has had the shit kicked out of him. Oh yeah, I mean like, the, the glass going through the and his feet, the feet oh, and even out the glass. That makes me wince every time I watch it. It's brilliant though. It's so good. That's, That's in the book as well. And, and he, he wears the bandage <clears throat> around his foot, you know, for the rest of the film and yeah. stuff like that. It's fucking great. It's great. I mean, it's it's a film that I've watched countless times, yeah. and, I, and I would watch tonight. I would watch again. You know, it's 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 one I'd sit round. I mean, you heard Ruth earlier on, you know. It's one that we just sit down and watch. You can. Should we and watch I'm, Die Hard? Yeah, let's watch Die Hard. Yeah. And you, you can know? just watch it, and it's so good. Oh, it's it's great. <clears throat> it's a great film. Um, and even the cast, like I say, Bruce, 
is great as the hero. Mm. You know, he's a relatable everyday Joe. And then let, let's talk about it. Alan Rickman is Hans Gruber. Oh, that's brilliant. Is is so charismatic. First, his first film role as well. Well, it's not his first ever film. No, no, no. But his first. Uh, I thought it was his first American film. I might be wrong. I'll have to check. But mm. um, I think he is so charismatic as Hans Gruber. Mm. So sort of um, just. He's just a cool. He's a cool baddie, isn't he? Yeah. So collected and so in control throughout it. And 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 also as well, non-tolerant of stupidity as yeah. well. You know, it's like when he talks to the person in German. And then the next thing you go, he says in German, he looks at him and he goes, shoot the glass. Yeah. You know, and you're like, yeah, it's just brilliant. Just touches. And he has that throughout. Like oh, when, yeah, he, yeah. when he says to, um, you know, like say when um, uh, Takagi, the, the CEO of Nakatomi, you know, he's like, oh, you, you know, I've given you what you can, but it's a time lock. He's like, you're right. I don't need you anymore. Bang. Yeah. And just shoots him. You're just going to have to shoot me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> And that's it. Like you said, he's not messing around. It's all planned out. It's all laid out to be exactly as he wants. Um, and even like the supporting cast, I think that, like everybody in this plays their part perfectly. You've yeah, got, yeah. Uh, Al, uh, the cop. You know, yeah, the, fat, the fat sort of like you know, he's, he just he's got, happens he to be going off on. Pops up in a couple of others, doesn't it? He well. pops up in the second one. Yeah. And um, I don't know. That's think that's it really. But he uh, weirdly he played. He plays in a sit. He was in a sitcom for years as a New York police officer. So you're like, well, that's oh, weird. Okay. Um, but he's perfect as that sort of like comedy sidekick sort of like the lovable character and stuff on the end of the phone and I love that there's a moment in this film when Bruce you know when, sorry, when John McClane comes out at the end and he sees him mm. across the thing and they've got like a proper connection like again like everyone's playing their part really, yeah that's really man well. love it is mm. like bro man that's a bromance um, but even the villains like Carl the long haired blonde German yeah, the one that they couldn't get they couldn't get um Dolph Lundgren so yeah, yeah. Let's, let's get someone that looks yeah. a bit like him a bit, we've had this before haven't we yeah the uh, yeah, the Lundgren wannabe but what not you say when he kills um, he kills one of them uh, and he leaves puts him in the lift he puts him in the, and he comes down and says now I have a machine gun ho 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 mm. and it turns out to be like, his, his brother so he's like I want his blood and it's sort of all about the revenge you will get it yeah but not now mm. um it's just, it's just so good. Everything is that the film, and like you say, is, is ticks along like Hans Gruber's plan. Mm. Like everything seems to happen at the right time. Yeah, it's very, it's very controlled. It's yeah, not, it's not like a Bond villain. No, he's, and that's the thing. Like at no point does he ever like. I love that because he never monologues. Really, does he? Right, and not until right at the end when um, um, John McClane's ex-wife or or separated wife says to him, like, you know, what kind of scumbag are you? You just a you just a you just a petty thief, and he's like, I'm an exceptional thief because mm. everyone's going to think I'm dead, and that's it. Like you, it wasn't a te- you know they set it up to be a terrorist. Yeah, because his teeth had his teeth extracted, didn't he, or something like that. Yeah, or... yeah there's there's allusions to all kinds of things of what they've gone on, but there's um, it's the fact that like this whole thing was set up to be a uh, to look like a terrorist kidnapping, and then they're all going to you know get the the top of the building's going to get blown up, so they think everyone's been killed. And in the confusion, they escape with having, you know, um, in the chopper. Is that right? That's what they were going to do. They were going to yeah. steal the chopper. Um, I mean, the, the, in the confusion, they escape. But and the, the point they wanted the, the building all blown up, and they want the FBI involved because the FBI turn off the electrics, and in turning off the electrics, it opens the last mm. lock on the vault. And for him to be stood there, he's like, you know, uh, here we go. The FBI is going to do it. They're going to pull the plug. They do it. 
Mm. And that's when you do it. You go, nah, 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 nah. It's it's spot on. I'm on with them. I'm yeah, fair play. Yeah, you, you deserve you, it. You, you kind of get a bit disappointed towards the end, and you just go, oh shit, do it. <laughs> yeah. You know. Um, but is, is, is it's true what they say Hans Gruber it's not Christmas Christmas isn't Christmas until Hans Gruber has mm. fallen off the Nocturne Plaza I agree so you actually agree with him this is a Christmas it's film totally, totally Christmas film although is it you have had this conversation with before yeah we have this is a conversation this is a Christmas film yeah because it is isn't it it has, a mor- it has a Christmas moral yeah alternative Christmas films we did didn't we yes that's right yeah, and this yeah. is totally yeah. totally I'm in it so that's Die Hard 1 Okay, and mm. it leaves you wanting more, doesn't it? Really, oh, yeah, they, they, they ride off into the distance. Well, how do you top that? Well, that was the question. In fact, that was the question because it was it was a success, so yeah. it was bound to have a sequel. Yeah. And in 1990, we get Die Hard 2 with possibly the worst subtitle: subtitle mm. uh, Die Hard 2, Die, Die Harder. harder. <laughs> well, it should have been called Try Harder. Yeah, yeah. Really. Um, Again, this, this was uh, well. Here's the thing. So the first one, directed by John McTiernan, yeah. um, director of Predator, mm. uh, you know, a known action director. He's got a, a good eye for it, I think. Because even you have to say that the first one looks beautiful as well. Oh, it's great! Yeah, it's, the it's cinematography, cut well. it's yeah, fantastic. It's like fantastic. I say, it's so tight. It's so sort of like, everything looks great. Uh, there's an eye for it. Second one, directed by Rennie Harlan. Mm. Now. I won't diss Rennie Harlan because Cliffhang- Cliffhanger's great. Cliffhanger, yeah. Kiss, not Kiss Kiss Bang, what you say? Uh, the Long Kiss Goodnight. The Long Kiss Goodnight's great, right? yeah, so yeah. Cutthroat does... Island is, is, is visually great. Yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting. He's ma- he managed to marry Re- uh, Gina Davis, so yes, yes. fair play to him. Yeah. I can't say much about Rennie Harlan. I think he's done some interesting and fun Rennie films. Rennie Harlan's taken risks and uh, some of them's paid off. Yeah. So, yeah, that's pretty good. But So, so yeah, this is a different take. It's not as tight as the first one. No. Nope. Um, but again, not an original skip, the script. This was also based on a book. Yeah. Uh, based on a book called 58 Minutes uh, by Walter Wager, uh, which was released in 1987. So, the story to this is also a lot more convoluted. Um, as I said, spoilers. So the first one's quite, again, it's quite tight, it's all in the film, you know, it's all in that one building. This one, set at an airport. Mm. Coincidentally, John McClane happens to be at an airport where this thing's going on. And a South American drug, gen- drug lord general is being flown in uh, been extradited to America to face tr- crimes f- during the drug war, the war on drugs, which had been a big thing in the 80s. And um, he is then, the, the airport is then attacked, uh, like a cyber attack really. A plane is brought, you know, he's going to be brought down, all the planes are just circling overhead. And the basis is, we're holding the, the, the airport to ransom, and you have to let this general go. Um, and when it all goes tits up, John McClane gets involved, the army gets involved. Then it turns out that the army squadron that's involved is actually on the side of the general. So it's just mm. John McClane against the, the, the South Americans and the army and all this other stuff. And it goes a bit it's all a over bit, the place. It's a bit Rambo, First Blood Part 2. It is all feels a bit messy. It gets a bit messy, I have to admit. Mm. But there's still some great parts in it. Like I, I could sit and watch this film any time as well. Like, mm. There's some great parts in it. I think the end um, really blows up the plane at the end. It's, it's, great. it's, it's got a great, great climax. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the is amazing. And the fight on the wing. Like, again... Yeah. But the, the great thing about this is like they up the ante, but at this point, John McClane is still that regular Joe. Like if he, you know, when he gets a kick in, he he gets a kick in. Yeah. He gets he bleeds and that sort of thing. Um. See, what's your thoughts on Rambo, like Rambo Two, on Die Hard Two, <laughs> Die Harder? Oh, there was a, it was an interesting sequel. I don't think it lived up to the expectations of what I what I thought it could be. Mm. I think Rennie Harlan's kind of, you know, interpretation of the way the John McClane character would 
would go. He he was a bit more. I don't know. It's kind of like every every action sequence in Die Hard Two seems to be based on one up from Die Hard One. Yes, I you agree. Know? And it's kind of like we blew up the top of the building. So what are we what are we going to blow up this time? It's going to beat a building. It's blow up a plane. Mm -hmm. It's just about to take off. You know. Or we're going to crash a plane into the ground. Or crash a plane into the ground. You know, it's it's kind of like it seemed a little bit more overkill. Again, it was a kind of a one location type of thing. There mm -hmm. was cutaways to other things, but it was all right. It was all right. It, it's, it's not the worst film I've seen, but it wasn't a great. I didn't feel very good about. Die Hard 2 at the end of it I thought yeah. <clears throat> it's a bit it's average not, it's not one I'd watch I wouldn't watch Die Hard 2 today if you said let's go watch Die Hard 2 I wouldn't watch it oh okay oh, that's fair yeah I'd watch yeah. Die Hard 1 yeah Die Hard 2 no I wouldn't I've seen it once obviously I've seen it a few times but I just I was gonna say, I've seen it a couple times it's still weirdly I, I still I love Die Hard 1 like you said I can watch Die Hard 1 any time yeah I think I would still sit down and watch Die Hard 2 you know I mm. enjoy it there's some bits in it that I really like um the shootout at the um, where they're going across the sort of like the walkway, yeah, the, yeah. where the T1000s in it, <laughs> Robert Patrick appears. All that. There's some good bits. The uh, the chase on the snowmobiles. Yeah. Um, the one thing I'd say in this though that sort of like it started to again watching these back in order recently. Um, one of the things I sort of that dawned on me watching this is John McClane's a relatable character, but also he's a bit of a dick. Mm. Yeah, he is. He's a smart ass dick. Yeah. So when people he's got get, a, bit, a bit of a chip on his shoulder, isn't he as well? Yeah. So when people sort of like get narky with him, mm. I'm actually more on their side. There are times I'm like, no, McLean, you are being a prick. No wonder your wife wants to leave you, you arsehole. Seriously, yeah, like, like, like by by the end of two, you're a bully. Yeah. By the yeah. end of two, I'm I'm telling them like, Holly, just leave him. He's a prick. You, you're <laughs> looking at Holly's face to see if she's got bruises. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Seriously, I wouldn't be surprised if after this, the last Boy Scout is actually officially Die Hard Three, and yeah, he's a drunk. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's just got, he's just an out and out, and that's it. Because um, he's that character, that's, and that feels like, and that's what Bruce Willis has become. Let's be honest, he's a grumpy old bastard who clearly doesn't want to do anything anymore. Doesn't enjoy doing these, and I always feel watching these back is that was underneath all this. There was almost like mm. a there was almost like he he liked doing certain things, but you could tell there was almost not a There's bitterness. Some stuff that he went, mm, yeah, oh, I'm not buying into this. Well, I'll do it because I've got to. But um, yeah, so Die Hard two. We'll, we'll rate these as we go. Actually, so Die Hard one out of ten, just quickly. Oh, nine point five. Nine point five. Uh, yeah, I'd agree. Actually, mm. nine five. It's one of the tightest best action films I've seen. Die Hard two. Five. Really? Yeah. Wow. So you'll yeah. give it a seven. It's an okay film. Okay, I'd, yeah, I'd still go higher than that. I think you know, there's still so much to like about it. Mm. Um, <clears throat> but that was 1990. So after that, you're right. It it, it didn't do as well. No. Um, uh, at the cinema, uh, peaks were a little bit more on home release. Mm. Uh, did okay, but it took them five years to release a sequel. Now I've got a big memory of Die Hard with a Vengeance, Die Hard mm. Three. Because <clears throat> I was in secondary school when this came out, mm. uh, I was collecting Total Film magazine. I think it was Total Film magazine, something like that. Or Empire at least. Mm. And I remember this being all over the place. Like they're releasing a new Die Hard film. And uh, I was, oh, by that point, I'd already seen, I had seen the other two. And I was like, I'm going to get to see Die Hard in the in the cinema because this was a 15. And uh, just being really excited about it. So this was the first Die Hard film I saw in cinema. Um, 
but so I've got real nostalgia love for this. Mm. Um, but I so say you've been a little older. What are your thoughts on Die Hard Three? Die Hard Loved it. I thought Die Hard Three was a great, great. It was a great comeback film. Mm. I think that you know the you have a, an, an uber, uber good villain, yeah. Jeremy Irons, just brilliant. Yeah. You know, it's just his voice and the Britishness of him is just fab. And then you've got um, a sidekick. Mm. And I think that's what he needed because that's what worked. The chemistry worked in Die Hard 1. It was missing in Die Hard 2. Agreed. And that, I think they, 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 despite them making it a bigger film because mm. it's set all over New York, um, they tapped into the essence of what worked yeah. for Die Hard 1. Mm. But again, this wasn't an original Die Hard film. This was a spec script that had been kicking around <clears throat> since the early 90s called Simon Says. And uh, Joel Silver uh, had wanted it. Uh, it was it was currently it was owned by 20th Century Fox, and um, you know obviously they were, and Joel Silver approached them and said, "Well, I want to buy that because I would like to turn that into the next um, Lethal Weapon film." Okay. So this was touted as being Lethal Weapon Four. Right. Uh, at one point, this was going to follow up, you know, and be the fourth Lethal Weapon film. Didn't happen because 20th Century Fox went, "Oh, I don't really want to sell it. I think we could make more money if we made this." Um, they actually handed it then over to John McTiernan again and uh, said, get me some writers, get me some people together. Who, how, What can we do with this? And he simply said, it's a diehard film. Let's make Die Hard 3. And that's what they did. So, you know, that, that it was a, it was a, a, so we've gone with three films into this Is it franchise. John McTiernan again then? John McTiernan directed this and it, it shows. Like when you watch this one. Wow. I didn't know he <clears> directed <throat> this one as well. It's probably why I enjoyed it then. Exactly. Guess, again, you know. that's what I'm saying. Like you, you get... I think John McClane is a, a more likable character. Yeah, he's pull, they pull him back. He's a drunk. Like he's, a, you know, he's, he's obviously had a, he's got a hangover throughout the film, but he's more of a. But he's flawed cynical. in the first film. Yeah, he's not so flawed in the second film. He's no. a bit cocksure. Yes. But in the third film, yeah, you're right. He's down to down to sort of like his lowest point again. Lowest point again. And I love it. I love that because it it create it makes him as you say it, it humanizes him, and that's what mm. it needs to do. It needs to humanize him. And again, I agree that the, having the sidekick in. Um, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, mm. brilliant casting. No, he's, he was great. This, and then, and though Samuel L. Jackson has done an uber amount of things before this, this is not one a huge that... amount actually. Like he wasn't, he was a, he was a bit actor. Yeah, uh, and, and during most of the eighties, we did Loaded Weapon, didn't we? Loaded Weapons, Loaded Weapons, only just before this. Amos and Andrew. Yeah, and, and Pulp Fiction '94. So he didn't really. Start Pulp Fiction with... came because of his <clears throat> because of this. Though. No, 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 no. Pulp Fiction's before this. Pulp Fiction releasing is filmed in late '93, released in '94. This is after. This really? Was, yeah, this I was thought he did Pulp Fiction before. Ah, this, ah. Is, this is filmed and played after. So really, like your knowledge of, of like the fame of Samuel L. Jackson really comes from Pulp Fiction and this. Mm. In, in you know, and then obviously he's built on it from there to become the the superstar he is now. Like, you know, that, that motherfucker, yeah. the yeah. badass motherfucker that he is, is Samuel L. Yeah, Jackson. Yeah, he is brilliant. Um, but perfect casting and perfect, um, you know, he plays it great. Yeah, he does. You know, um, and I actually kind of like the racial tension between the two of them because mm. it's it's quite silly. It's 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 you know not played for laughs in sort of like a, a in a poor sense, but there's that sort of thing of they go a bit get both get a bit exasperated about each other. Um, and the thing I like about this in between is the fact you have Simon who turns out to be Hans Gruber's older brother. Mm. Um, I like the fact that he's a bit like. I don't give a shit about your little tensions, but I'm going to play on them because yeah, yeah. it clearly is quite funny. Who again? Um, Samuel Jackson, first choice. 
he was the first choice, and you know, I think that that was a good choice. Uh, Jeremy Irons wasn't their first choice. Okay. Um, he's only slightly older than Alan Rickman, mm. so older brother's fine. But who do you think they would have gone to? Who do you think would have? Been, they wanted that thing of like, you know a British actor. They clearly wanted a British actor to, to carry on that thing. Who would you go to to play an older, um, you know, Hans Gruber? Uh, I would. Who would I go to? Mm. Well, who would they go to? This is 1994. Sean Connery. Sean Connery. It was. Was it? They approached Sean Connery, wow. and he actually asked them two questions. Well, first he said, "That's well, so what." When you think British actor older, the first yeah. Of Firstly, he Sean read the, he read the script, and his first response was, "Am I not too old for this?" Because hmm. even in the 90s, he was probably in his like late you know late 50s type thing. Oh no, well, she's much older than that. Yeah, in his sixties, at least. Uh, and then he, when he fight, you know, he read it, and they said, and they said, "Oh no, 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 you'd be perfect." He said, well, I don't really want to play a baddie. So can you make him a little bit less of a baddie? And they were like, "No, he said, well, I, don't, I don't want to do it then." Mm. So I'm quite glad because you know, obviously I he's meant Jeremy to be just brilliant. Yeah, well the thing is, let's be honest with Sean Connery, right? And I'm going to put Sean Connery down because I like Sean Connery. Ah, Mr. McLean. Yeah. Oh, you're German. You're clearly you're yeah. clearly German. Yes, yes I am. Uh, I am German. Yeah, that is right. Nice. Much like his, much like his Russian uh, in the Hunt for Red October. Um, and uh, <laughs> and his, uh, his his Spanish accent in Highlander. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all those multilingual roles that he's played. Oh, he's such depth, that man. And of all of those, the one that's closest was the Irishman he played in The Untouchables. Yeah. So let's not be, let's be fair. It would have been a terrible choice. It would have. Yes, that's right. Um, you know, and, and at this point, the best thing I think Sean Connery had done uh, is uh, uh, Last Crusade. So. It was very good in that. Yes. I love Last Crusade. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Jeremy Irons, and he plays it pitch perfect. Oh, he does. Yeah, he's he's world apart, isn't mm. he? From, I mean, I can't remember the name of the villain in uh, the guy who plays the villain in the second one. Uh, the general. Oh, there's something I was, I was going to mention in the second. One. We'll go back and set. Uh, I can't remember. Um, but he's a very insignificant in the great scheme of things, isn't he? Yeah. You know. Well, you're right, actually. Yeah, yeah. But when you when you get to like Jeremy Irons and then Alan Rickman, you're thinking legends. In yeah. Proper. Um, just to go back, actually, something you you mentioned about the second one. Um, the Die Hard series mm. exists in the same movie universe as another film. We've talked about already. So the general, you know the general uh, in the second film, he's been extradited from Valverde. Is the country that he's been extradited from? It's a fictional country; it doesn't exist. Fictional mm. uh, South American country. It's also the South American country that uh, John Matrix uh, goes to um, to then visit an island just off the coast of Valverde in Commando. Oh wow! Okay. So Die Hard and Commando exist in the same world. <laughs> Wow. So are they hoping to do a crossover film? I have no idea. Oh, In my be... head, though, I'm like, why hasn't that film happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but John, yeah. John Matrix and John McClane. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then you have John Rambo. Bring them all in. The Johns. Yeah. JJJ. JJJ. Um, so, yeah. Triple J. The Triple J. <laughs> That'd be... See, that's what I want to... That's a film. John! Yes. And <laughs> all John, three All three and turn out. Yes, yes. Shoot him, um, John. Shoot who? What, shoot John? No, don't just shoot John. I'm just saying shoot John. <laughs> which John do you want us to shoot? I don't want to shoot John. I just want you to shoot John. And then yes, John, I know you want me to shoot John, through, but which one? John Cleese stands up. And that's yeah. it. Oh, no, no, none of this silliness. Let's move on. Uh, yeah, but and Jeremy Irons, I, I, will take, I would accept him as being a sibling to... 
uh, Hans Gruber. Like his his Simon Gruber. You think think about Jeremy Irons playing Scar in mm. in in The Lion King. Yeah, yes. he is that Scar to me is the same character he plays in Die Hard Revenge, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. But he can he's able because you think about most of what he says as well in Die Hard Three is over the phone, so you hear his voice. His voice is so empowering and mm. so so hits Rich. your soul. Yeah, yeah, it's just grand. I mean, what a great what a great <clears throat> actor to play such a, an uber villain. Yeah, oh, he's fantastic, and I love the fact in this film that you actually spend the first half of it like on the run like not too much of running away but he keeps saying like you know it's clear that he's got chase, to hear chase it. the dime it is, isn't yeah, it yeah it's like okay now you've got to run to this point to do this thing and if you don't do it I'm going to blow something up so you are literally following the hero on a mm. distraction like the first half of the film doesn't matter mm. but it's great you know because it builds that relationship between um, uh, John McClane and, and the Samuel Jackson character yeah, Zeus yeah. Zeus, uh, Zeus uh, you know, although it's spelled Jesus, but it's Jesus, um, and uh, yeah, it builds that that relationship up. You know, when they've got to try and get was it four liters, and they've got a five a five liter jug and a three liter jug, and they've got to try and make four liters to, to turn the bomb off, and then yeah, yeah. they leave it. I love that they leave it in the fountain. And he's like, "You leave it that there, some kid could find it." And they have the whole argument. Like, it's brilliant, so well done, but I mean, it's meaningless because mm. it's not until they blow up um, downtown. The, the financial district and John McClane stops and he's like you know when the train blows up isn't it yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like oh this is shit this is pointless like even he admits it he's like everything we've done for the last five like, is completely pointless let's go back and that's when it kicks into high gear and you get that sort of like you know the build up to the mm. uh, the chases and the bit on the boat and, and uh, the flat. It's, it's great it's such a good film I like it that was a good film uh, it's, a, it's a solid so what would you give Die Hard with a Vengeance then eight eight hmm yeah, so it's not quite up there with with Diad One, nope. but it's still, yeah. um, it's still it's still up there. I agree. Actually, eight is a good is a mm. good solid score. It's it's a fantastic film, and uh, I would definitely revisit it. It's another one I can just watch any time. Mm. I consider that to be the strong Die Hard trilogy. Yeah, agreed. All right, that's that's the original trilogy. Okay, that's that's your Star Wars type trilogy. That's your original trilogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's move on to what we can consider the prequels, shall we? <laughs> okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're actually going to stop it right there. Put a pin in it, maybe. And uh, we'll be coming back to uh, the rest of the Die Hard franchise on the next episode. Uh, so some more Pod Hard next time. Mike and I will be back. But let me know. Let me know what you think of the Die Hard series. Is it good? Is it bad? Is Die Hard the best action film ever made? We had a poll. Which of the sequels are the best? Let me know. Contact me through email, 20thCenturyGeek at gmail.com. Find me on Twitter, at 20thCenturyGeek. Or on Facebook, on Tumblr, on Instagram. I'm on all those things. Please reach out. Happy to talk. Uh, And I love it when people do. Uh, And of course, we are on Patreon. So, if you like what we're doing and you want a little bit more from 20thCenturyGeek, we've got our monthly awards. Pop over to Patreon and uh, just throw a couple of coppers our way. All donations are greatly, greatly appreciated, and uh, hopefully people enjoy the content. And finally, no matter what you are what listening to this on, whether it be iTunes or Podbean or whatever the catcher is, please, wherever you can, subscribe, drop a review on there for us. You know, one star, and you don't like it, let us know why. Five stars, let me know why. I always want my ego to be boost. Okay, stop the rambling now. So... Thank you very much for listening, and yippee-ki-yay, mother flappers. I'll see you next time.
delightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow.